And all God's people said, amen, amen. I want to tell you a little bit about a story, about a man who I came to love when I was a new Christian. Um, I've told you um, in the past about my pastor that uh, served the church that I got saved in for 28 years. Well, there was a, a fellow Nazarene pastor that lived close to him that was, uh, was like his best friend. They did a lot of things together, did a lot of ministries together. These two churches did, um, shared together. His name was, um, was Dr. Manuel Chevier um, Sr. He, had, he started a church in 1948... Um, called the International Church of the Nazarene. It was a, it was a multi-ethnic church with multiple languages and multiple people. Before, before multi-ethnic was even a thing to do, he was doing it, you know. He was just an amazing guy. His, his native language was Portuguese, and, um, but it was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful church. And he pastored that church from 1948 when he started it to 2006 when he went home to be with the Lord. That was a long time. One church, one community, one place. And he was known as Mr. Love. He just loved, 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 loved. Everywhere he went, he exuded love by his, by his words, by his body language, by his actions, by the demonstration of who he was. He exuded the love of God. And one of his favorite things he would say is he would say people that he'd meet on the street or meet in a church, has anyone told you that they loved you today? Has anyone told you they loved you today? And so I want to ask you this morning, has anyone told you that you are loved today? If you have not been told that verbally today, I want you to stand up. Come on, be honest. Good. All right. Now, here's what I want the rest of us to do. I want us to yell out as loud as we can, I love you. Ready? One, two, three. I love you. Amen. Amen. You are loved today. Each and every one of you are loved and special today. I don't know about you, but um, that just lifts you up, doesn't it? To know that you are loved by God, that you are loved by one another, and, um, and that somebody loves you. There are people in the world who never hear that they are loved. They never experience the love of God that we experience all the times in our lives. And we have the ability to actually love on other people in a powerful way. Today we are, we are in the book of Romans and we, we've been looking at this idea of transformed life, a transformed life. And we started this, uh, this third part of our series out in Romans chapter 1 verses 2, 1 and 2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this week and next week in that same passage again because I want to remind you again that God calls us in light of what he has done for us on the cross to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. Or as another translation says, our reasonable act of service. And that worship is not just what we do here on Sunday morning. Although it is an important part when we rehearse, remind, sing, pray, and and, and, and remind us of what God has done for us and what he's doing in our lives. That's why we come together. 
And the body of Christ should come together regularly. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to sing around his throne forever and ever praising him. Amen. And so this is a rehearsal for that. But worship is more than just gathering together on Sunday morning or whenever we gather together. It is also worship is living our lives for the glory of God. Serving one another. And we talked last week about using our gifts. He goes on to say, don't be transformed any longer by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation, that metamorphosis that happens, that transformation that happens from the inside out. The world is trying to squeeze you from the outside in. God is transforming you from the inside out. Catch that. The world is squeezing you, trying to get you to conform. God is transforming you from the inside out. And one of the major ways he transforms us is through his love and grace in our lives. And so we're going to pick up that theme of love to this morning in Romans chapter, nine, chapter 12, starting in verse number 9. Would you take your Bibles and let's stand together and let's read Four verses of scripture, Romans chapter 12, starting at verse number 9. As you read this together with me, um, I want to remind you, just like the last section of verse number 7, where, where Paul lists out the seven gifts, Paul is now listing out the characteristics of love. It's like bullet points, you know. Um, I don't know about you, but I love bullet points. You know, you know that because I do a lot of bullet points. And uh, Paul lays out some bullet points here about love. And so let's focus on that this morning about the love. It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Would you speak to us today, Lord? about loving within the family of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, a number of commentators actually have noticed that Paul's sequence of thought in Romans chapter 12 mirrors his sequence of thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. If you were to go to if you were to go to Romans I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 12 you would discover that Paul is addressing the church of Corinth about gifts but then in the middle of after talking about gifts in chapter 12 he goes into chapter 13 which is known as the love chapter and he talks about love. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8 it says this love is patient love is kind it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails." 
And he actually ends that chapter talking about the greatest three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of the greatest three is love. And that without love, you are a resounding gong. You are a clanging symbol that means nothing. In other words, what Paul is trying to address here in the church is that so often we can focus so much on our gifts, on our particular spiritual gifts, that we lose sight of the most important gift of all, which is the love of God in our lives. Using your gifts without the love of God glorifies yourself instead of glorifying the Lord. And God wants to remind us of that. So Paul addresses here in chapter 12 of Romans, he talked about our spiritual gifts and how we need to work together, how we need to be formed together, how we need to be participating with our gifts and talents in service to the Lord as a reasonable act of service. And by the way, could I just say, last week we had five people sign up to serve in our preschool department, praise God, amen? Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're not totally staffed yet there, okay? So if God's still working on you to join our preschool team, we could greatly, greatly use the help in our nursery, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and four-year-olds so that our littlest, most vulnerable um, children in our church that need loving care can be, provide a safe environment with people who love them and participate with them and teach them the love of Jesus. Amen. But Paul is addressing this idea of love. And he goes on. He's talked about gifts and now he's going to talk about love. And he, and he speaks to us. So today I want to talk to you about five ways to love your church family. Five ways to love your church family. Now you could say, why is it just about the church family? Because when you look at these four verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, he uses a couple of terms over and over again. He talks about, he talks about loving one another. He talks in verse 13, actually, he actually said, share with God's people who are in need. He talks about brotherly love, you know, be, having the love of God within the, within the family. And so Paul is addressing how the church needs not only to learn how to serve and be responsible in serving, but the church also needs to be a demonstration of the love of God that is poured out into our lives. This is what is called agape love. This is, as John Wesley described it, perfect love. The love of God that is poured out on a cross that is demonstrated to us through God's becoming a human flesh, living here for 33 years and then dying for us on our behalf, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was what love, he demonstrated love. That love is perfect. There is no better love in the world than the love of God. Amen. And that's the perfect love of God. And so when you receive Christ into your life, when you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you are receiving the grace and the love of God into your life, which is the perfect love of God. And so you can live through his love, in his love, in his power, a life that's pleasing to God on this side of heaven. Amen? You can actually live a life that's pleasing to him. And so that's the perfect love of God. But Paul is now going to shift from talking about the love of God poured out on the cross, which he did so clearly in Romans chapter 3 all the way through chapter 11. 
He talked about God's love and God's love. God's love is, is persistent. It is, it is transforming. It is, it is merciful. It is kind. It is generous. I mean, all these things of God's love. And now he's going to shift and he's going to take that love and he's saying, now that you have that love, how are you supposed to love each other? How are you supposed to love your fellow brother and sister in Christ? How is the church supposed to demonstrate his love? And Paul tells us five ways here. First of all, he says, number one, love should be sincere without hypocrisy. Love should be sincere without hypocrisy. In other words, love should be something that is genuine. Amen? Love should be something that's genuine. Love should, love should come out of your heart and your life in a genuine way. When I was a youth pastor back in the day, it was a few years ago, I used to say, especially to all my youth volunteers, if you don't genuinely love the kids that we're ministering to, the kids are going to figure that out really fast. They're going to diagnose that you're a hypocrite, that you are an, you're, 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 you're an imposter, you know. And there are people in the world, and there's sometimes even people in the church, who recognize genuine love. Genuine love, because genuine love has some characteristics to it, has some, 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 some realness to it that begins to be demonstrated. And so Paul says here, love must be sincere. And literally he means without hypocrisy. You can't say one thing and do another. You can't say, oh, I love you and may the Lord bless you and I love you and then go talk behind somebody's back. Gossip about them, lie about them, slander them. That's not love, and that will be demonstrated by your life. Back a few years ago when I was a youth pastor, again, I served in a church in Roanoke, Virginia. I served in that church for about a year and a half, and we had a tremendous youth ministry. But I remember so clearly the, the tensions within the church because a lot of the teenagers that Jane and I were, were reaching out, we would actually take a van and we would drive the streets of Roanoke and we would pick kids up that didn't have rides. And these kids would come to church and they were from really tough homes and really tough environments and some of them smoked cigarettes and some of them swore and cussed and, and things like that. And I can remember one time one of the leaders of the church said to me, you know, can you get those kids to stop those things? I was like, well, I can't, but the Lord can. And they were more interested in in trying to get them to conform to certain behaviors than really loving them. And I said, you know, let's love on these kids. Let's share the love of God with them. Let's let the Holy Spirit work in their lives. Let's let God do his thing in them, and he will transform them. Well, they had a hard time with that. Love wasn't sincere. Love was, was very conditional on their acceptance of them, you know. I remember this other time we were having a concert in the afternoon and, um, and the concert was there. And this was 1990s. This is not like early 60s or 70s. I was, I was, I'm not that old, okay, in the early 1990s. And, uh, and, and we had a church, you know, um, um, potluck after church was over and then we we're going to have a concert by a, by a trio that were coming and they were going to sing for us. And they came and as they walked on stage, there were two white women and one black man. And as they walked on stage and they stood before us and they started singing some gospel music, 
two of the families in our church got up and walked out. Why? Because black men don't sing on a stage in a white church. This was 1990, friends. And I thought to myself, this is not real love. This is not sincere love. This is not love. This is, hype. This is hypocrisy at its max. Love should be sincere, the scripture tells us. Peter tells us over in 1 Peter, above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. It says in, um, in John 13, Jesus said this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. My friends, the greatest thing that we can do here at Olive Knowles is love each other genuinely. Love each other sincerely. Love each other with the love of God. The way that God loves us, we need to let that love permeate our relationships with each other. Amen. May no one come in the doors of Olive Knowles and feel rejection because they're unloved. Amen. No matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done in their lives, no matter what their behavior is, may the love of God be poured out through our attitudes, through our actions, through our genuine, sincere love that God has within us for them. That's what God wants in our lives. Love should be sincere. This is what I call the quality of our love. Love's quality. The quality is sincerity. It's sincerity without hypocrisy. Number two, what's the second way that we can love? The scripture says, love should be based on truth. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I found that kind of shocking that in the first sentence where Paul talks about loving sincerely, he also is talking about hating what is evil. Love and hate are almost like opposites. They're, 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 they they, they kind of go on sometimes on the same coin. Love and hate. God is not calling you to hate a person. He's calling you to hate sin. And you can love a sinner and still hate a sin. Amen. You can love a person and still hate a sin. And the scripture is very clear. He says, I want you to hate what is evil, but I want you to cling to what is good. May we never, ever, ever, ever confuse loving a person and hating a sin. Hating evil. I don't know about you, but I don't like, I don't like alcoholism. But I love the alcoholic. I don't like pornography. But I love the sex addict. I don't, like, I don't like sexual promiscuity, but I love the person who is involved in the sexual promiscuity. I don't like murder, but I love the murderer. I don't like a thief, a th theft, but I love the thief. And that's what God calls us to do. And sometimes we can get so turned off by the, by the brokenness and sinfulness of people's behavior that it turns into us unloving towards people. God wants us to love people and hate the sin. Hate the sin. Cling to what is good. This is what I call love's morality. Love's morality. This is love's morality. In other words, love, love is, God's love is both, God is both holy and loving. He is a holy, loving God. 
while we were enemies, sinners, doing our own thing, what did God do? He demonstrated his love for us. How did he do that? He died for us. How should you love other people who are living in sin? You should love them. You should love them. They should sense your love for them more than your hatred of their evil. Let that sink in. They should sense your love for them more than their behavior that is contrary to God's will. And that's the morality of God's will. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19, um, I find it interesting what, what the Lord hates. It says these, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that is, are detestable to him. And notice some of the things he says. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that, that is devised on wicked schemes, feel quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. The scripture is clear that God does hate sin. He doesn't find it, you know, it's not like he, he, he just embraces it. He loves people too much to leave them the way that we are. He wants to transform them from the inside out. And God's that is what real love is really all about. Here's the third way that you can love your church family. Paul says, love should be like a family. Love should be like a family. Love should be like, like a family. And this is, this is where he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Various attempts have been made to distinguish different kinds of love. You know, agape love, there's um, what is called um, um, brotherly love. This is, this is where we get, you know, the, 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 the city of brotherly love, which is Philadelphia, you know. And what Paul is saying to us in the church family is that we should love each other like we are biological brothers and sisters in Christ. We should love each other as brothers and sisters. When I first got saved and I first went to my very first church family in Wareham, Massachusetts, and I was so blown away because everybody was talking about brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and they would talk about each other as, as brothers and sisters. And I, and I remember going home and saying to, my, saying to my mother, I said, Mom, is everybody related in that church? Because they're all talking about each other as brothers and sisters. I didn't fully understand it. But as I have grown in the Lord, here's what's happened in my life. Sometimes my church family, I am closer to than my biological family. Now that doesn't always have to be, but my, my biological family is so spread out and I hardly ever see them and we're hardly ever in connection with each other except for one or two times a year that, that the church family has become my nuclear family. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them. It's even deeper than, than physical blood. It's the blood of Christ that binds us together. And the scripture says you should be devoted to one another. In other words, you should be committed to your church family. Come on, folks. You should be committed to your church family. 
You should be committed to this body of believers that God's called you to be a part of. And you should consider this church not just a place that you worship on Sunday. You pay a little tithes and you might do a little service. But you see the people that you are sitting with and that you are in relationship with as your brother or sister in Christ and you are devoted to them. When they hurt, you hurt. When they celebrate, you celebrate. When somebody needs help, you help them. When, so, when you invite them over for dinner, you, you do life together, you share life together. That's what it means to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The church family should resemble your nuclear family. That's what Paul is trying to say to us. How does that happen? That doesn't happen instantly. That happens as you commit yourself to the body. You commit yourself in attendance. You can commit yourself in relationships. You commit yourself to a small group. You know, our large group Sunday morning gatherings are wonderful gatherings, but could I tell you, the level of intimacy on a Sunday morning is the lowest level. The greatest level of intimacy in the church is when you get group, when you get friends and you get people that you do life together with. That's what happens in small groups. So we encourage you to get into a small group. But love each other with brotherly love. And then he says, honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. The church family should be a family where we always defer to the other. We want to honor the other. We want to lift the other person up. We want to give opportunities to each other. We want to encourage each other. We want to, we want to bless each other. We want to be a place that we're, we feel lifted up. So when people walk into this church or when people participate in the church, they feel better about themselves after they've been here than when they leave. When they got here, they, when they leave. I'm saying that all You get what I'm saying. <laughs> Honor one another above yourselves. We've, we've got enough people. I mean, sometimes it makes me sick. You know, when the football player scores a touchdown and they're like, whoa, yeah, look how great I am. And they're all, it's all about pleasing themselves. What about the other 12 guys that block for you? What about the coaches on the sidelines that devise the plan? When the glory is always to the individual, they are puffing themselves up at the expense of others. The church should be a place where we always defer to someone else. And we give honor to other people that are in the room. And this is where love should recognize the inherent worth of every single person. Every single person who becomes part of the church, we should recognize their inherent worth. Whether they're young or old. Whether they're male or female, black or white. Maybe they're, they're rich or poor. It does not matter in the body of Jesus Christ. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And we are all have the same worth in God's eyes. And we should have the same worth to one another. We should treat each other that way. Treat each other in a very, very worthy way. Now, this issue, this is what, the, the quality of love here is love's commitment. This is the kind of love we should have in the family. We, should, we have love's quality. That's sincere love. We should have love that's truthful. That's love's morality. This is love's commitment that we have, should have to one another. Now, there are three issues of our day which I really think that this speaks to. 
immigration, racism and prejudice, and abortion. These three issues in our day, and I'm not here to talk politics with you. You've got your own politics and your own ways of viewing that politically or how our government should deal with that. But in the church of Jesus Christ with kingdom-minded people, it does not matter who the person is, we should value them as a creation of God. Amen. We should value them for their worth in their created being. They are created by God, they are died for by God, and God wants to redeem them. They have gifts and talents if they know the Lord. And therefore, when you think about these three issues... The value of a person should be front and center for us. What happened where, you know, one governor is now shipping immigrants to another, another state or flying them to another state or whatever is going on. That's all political theater, my friends. And you could be on one side or the other of the issue and say, you know, that's, that's just that. But there are real people being pawned here. Real people with real issues that really it's probably not even their fault that we are having a political problem in our immigration system in America today. It's not, it's not their fault. It's, it's our fault in America for how we're dealing with that. But those people are real people and they have real worth. And we should, as the people of God, begin to love people the way they are. So if a person comes into our church and if they're legal or illegal, it does not change the way we treat them. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We don't say to people, you know, oh, you're one of those illegals. You, you need to go back to your own country. We don't check people's, you know, cards as they walk in the door. We don't, we don't say, oh, you're one, of those, well, you're one of those people that live on the other side of the tracks. Why don't you go find a church on the other side of the tracks? You're not welcomed here. That would be hypocritical of us as the body of Christ. Christ has loved us while we were yet sinners. And so our worth, our worth. I'm talking about kingdom-minded here. I'm not talking about politics. But your kingdom-mindedness should affect your political views. That's my opinion on that. Amen? Amen? So God, let God speak to you on that. Notice what, by the way, what Hebrews chapter 13 says. Do not forget to show hospitality to the strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. May every single person who enters the doors of Olive Knowles, who is a stranger to us, find hospitality, love, and an embrace that they are loved and cared for in a powerful, powerful way. May our love be genuine and real and be demonstrated by our attitudes and our actions. May they sense the love of God in a powerful way when they become connected to this body of believers. You just might be in the presence of an angel of the Lord. And you don't even know it. That's what, that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to say to us. Well, what's the fourth way that we can love our church family? Here's what the scripture says. Love should be filled with optimism because of God's promises. I love what it says here. Never 
be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul is saying to us in the body of Christ, there, are, there is a tendency for us to lose steam. You ever lose some steam? You just don't have that get up and go anymore? You don't have that, you don't have that fervency, that energy Paul is saying to us, when we are depleted, when we are downtrodden, when we feel like we just don't want to do anything, we got to get on our knees before Almighty God and say, God, fill me up again. Fill me with your power again. Put me back in service again. Help me to get back to serving you, O Lord. Notice that Paul is saying to us that serving the Lord is really important and service is not watching, service is action. Service is doing. Service is being involved and participating. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. You know what this says to me? This is what it says to me. No one is too far gone. In other words, there is not one person in the world who is too far separated from God that we should ever give up on them. We should ever give up on our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who wander away from the faith, those who struggle, whatever it might be. We should constantly be loving on them and serving them and praying for them, even as they walk through some difficult times. And no situation is too difficult from the Lord. Fervency. I don't know about you, but every Sunday morning when I get up, I say, Lord, fill me with your energy. Help me not to go to church and be a downer. I mean, how would you like to preach again? Oh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Let's read together. All right. You guys should really love each other. Really, you really should. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should really be truthful and honest, and you should, not, you should hate evil. I mean, it's, it's really a bad thing, you know. You should just do that. All right, let's all stand together, have prayer, go home. God bless you. How'd you like that? You wouldn't like that at all, would you? If I just kind of went through the motions and did my thing, may every single one of us bring it. Bring it. Amen? Let's go, as Tom Brady would say as he's running down the field. If he's going to talk about hitting somebody in the football, let's go with the Lord. Amen? Let's go. Pastor Rusty over here, he wrote in his report to me, I'm going to tell on you, Pastor Rusty. He said, he said, he said pray for me, I need a second wind. Now, could I just tell you, being a principal of a school, you need second winds. You need tenth winds. It's a, it's a, it's a 100% job. There's no, there's no, you know, doing it half time. Any of you in the public school systems and you are in administration, you know that you got to bring it every day because there's going to be problems and issues and concerns that are going to be right there at your footsteps. And so you know what I've been brewing for Pastor Rusty? I've been faithfully praying for him. That God would continue to give him the power and the unction and the, and the energy to serve the Lord in the role of being the, as a principal of Olive Knowles Christian School. And if you're down in the dumps today, 
if your energy level is low, if you find yourself just going through the motions, you are being joyful in hope and patient in affliction. you got to be faithful in prayer because the promises of God are for you. Amen. Let me give you one of the promises. This is love's energetic expression, by the way. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and in his understanding no one can fathom. Now catch this. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and never faint. Amen. Notice it says that your strength is found as you put your hope in the Lord. Your hope in the Lord. And so, so you might find yourself being, you know, down on your church. You know, what's a, you know what a great church is? A great church is filled with a lot of people who are excited about Jesus. That's a great church. And demonstrated by their actions. And demonstrated about inviting other people to be a part of it. Demonstrated about serving the Lord, using their gifts and talents. Demonstrates it by making church a priority in your life. And unfortunately today, we've gotten to the place where church is optional. If it fits my schedule, if it fits what I want to do, I'll go. What happened to the days when we said Sunday was the Lord's day? And we, we, we carved our life around the Lord's day instead of carving our life around everything else and fitting the Lord in. Have we lost our zeal? Have we lost our fervor? God wants us to put our hope in him. Amen? Well, there's one more way. Last but not least, love should be tangible actions. Love should be tangible actions. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Amen? Practice hospitality. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I love the fact that he says share with not just people, but God's people. One of the things that I really believe with all my heart is there shouldn't be anybody who's part of Olive Knowles who has such significant human needs that they go unmet. Amen? Why do I believe that? Because we're family. And what do families do? Families take care of each other. Families share with each other. Families are generous to each other. Family makes sure family is okay. We have a family in our church that I've referred to a few times. He's an employee of Olive Knowles. His name is Jacob Curley. And Jacob, as you know, probably you've heard the story. He's got seven kids. He's a single dad. He makes a little bit more than minimum wage. 
And I don't know about you, but can you imagine trying to raise a family on a little bit more than minimum wage and you got seven of them? You talk about not having much. It's hard. And so sometimes Jacob, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but he has to go pick up his kids during the, during the day. And he's got a van that gets about eight miles to the gallon in gas. He's always, always trying to figure out how to put gas in that thing. And when gas was over almost $6 a gallon, it just about killed him. For those of us who have more money, we can probably say, oh, I won't go out to eat as much or anything. All right? not. But literally, he couldn't feed his own children. So I said to Jacob, anytime my car's in the parking lot and you need to go pick up your kids, you can take my car. Use my gas. Why? He's family. He's family. And so you, as the body of Christ, need to know who's in your family. And you need to be generous towards your family. You don't have to be asked. You can just do it. When Jane and I were young Young, young parents, we were, I mean, I told you, my first church, I made 125 bucks a week. That was 1993. That was a total income. Little Weston was born. Jane and I, and we, Jane was working full time. We were just trying to make it. I was driving school bus, trying to, trying to get enough money to pay the bills and pay the college bills and pay the college loans and all that kind of stuff and just trying to live. And good old Bob Bond, which I told you about last week, who's generous. You know what he would do? Every Sunday night, he would take and put a box of diapers outside the pastor's office. And he would put a little sticky note on it that said, diaper fairy. He didn't want anybody to know it was he was a diaper fairy. But Jane and I figured it out after a while. And how many, how long did, did, did Bob do that, Jane? Was it? Six years we were there. I mean, we, were, we, had tight, we had kids in diapers for like almost three years, six years straight. God was there for us and met our needs. Could I just tell you what a blessing that was? What am I trying to say? Share with God's people who are in need. And then he says, practice hospitality. Practice. The, the lost art of having a meal together going out to lunch together, inviting some to your house for a barbecue. You know, you could do incredible amounts of ministry in your church if you would just say, Lord, my house is your house, and I'm going to use it for your glory, and just start inviting everybody over to church, over to your house for dinner, for lunch. You know what that would do? It would create love flowing in powerful ways. There was a day when a visitor would come to the church and you know what the church would do? They would seek out the visitor and they would make sure that that visitor got an invitation to lunch before they went home. What is that? That's hospitality. That's practicing hospitality. Today we have lost the art of a meal and eating together. It's a powerful ministry opportunity. John says this, and the worship team's gonna come. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need. This is talking about the church family here. Anyone sees his brother in need but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Amen? Can I ask you as a church family, step up the love. Step it up. Take these five very practical teachings from the Apostle Paul. And say, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice for you. Transform me by your love, that agape love, that perfect love. And may that love come through me to others in the body of Christ. You know what will happen? God will use you in powerful ways. And you'll never run out of resources. His love will continuously go through you. Why? Because this kind of love cares. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for reminding us of some very basic, simple truths about your love. Your love. May we love like you love, Lord. That perfect love of God that's in us that we've received. May that love go out as we love every person, as we love each other, I pray that you'll help us in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's sing a closing song together.